0: Podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your, your Bibles, let's open them up. We've been going through Isaiah, some selected passages from there, and um, we were in Isaiah 35 last week. And so this morning you can turn to chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. I think most of us would agree that we could stand a little revival in the land. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we could use revival in our land, in our nation, just as the Israelites needed revival back during Isaiah's time. After prophesying that God would use the Assyrians and the Babylonians to discipline his people for, for their unfaithfulness and their rebelliousness and their, just their rejection of God and his word and his commands, Isaiah comforts them, the people of Judah, with the promise that God would restore and bless them once the discipline was complete. Wanting to and longing to encourage those who would be returning from the captivity that lasted for 70 years in Babylon. When we went through the book of Daniel, Daniel was a part of that. He was in the middle of all that and was there in Babylon, if you'll recall. Now, if you remember that when we started Isaiah, we, 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 we let you know that it's really broke down into two sections. The scholars see it as having section one and section two section 1 being chapters 1 through 39, and it deals with with God's pronouncing judgment on His people. Chapters 40 through 66, God changes it up and goes from pronouncing judgment to bringing comfort and hope and encouragement. It's about His grace from chapters 40 through 66. And so we are picking it up at chapter 40 this morning, and we're going to be looking at and covering the first five verses of of this 40th chapter. Now, at the time of Isaiah, but time he wrote this 40th chapter, this great message that is about hope and salvation, he knew that the Jewish people were facing roughly, from that point, roughly give or take 160 years or so of extreme, difficult years. For about 93 of those years, or again, give or take a year or two, the Their their nation would experience an unparalleled flow of wickedness coming in and out of that nation, a stream that would gain momentum, bringing about an inevitable end, the fall of their nation, the fall of Judah to the Babylonian Empire. They would then be deported and spend, as I have already said, 70 long, harsh years scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. And so therefore, as you might could imagine, encouragement and a deep sense of God's care and comfort would be so desperately needed during those long, difficult years The people needed to trust God, needed to come back to a place where they could believe in His amazing, glorious promises of deliverance. They needed to live righteously and godly as they looked forward to the day of their redemption being provided for them by Yahweh. They needed to get there at that place. And, and by the way, the language here of chapter 40 is very similar to the language that you'll find in the book of Exodus. Exodus being the, the book that talks about God's delivering his people out of Egypt, right? So the language is very similar to what we find Isaiah giving to us and providing us here. Within the hearts of the people, they they needed to keep their hope alive of God's salvation, the hope that He would deliver them from their captivity and lead them back to Judah, back to the land of promise, okay? To keep their hope alive, the Lord stirs the heart of Isaiah to get him to proclaim this much-needed message of comfort and hope, and salvation. Yes, we need revival in our nation, in our churches, yes. in our personal lives. Yes. But the question is, do we really fully understand what that even means no. in our time and in our day? It's not just, you know, uh, I can remember back many years ago when I was a kid, and even like teenager, and in maybe even in my early adulthood, uh, churches would, you know, bring in an evangelist and there'd be great music and they'd have a meeting for a week or two. And, and you guys have heard it. Some of you who've been around a little while goes, and then you would, you know, you'd hear people talk about it Goes, we're in revival. <laughs> <laughs> and it would go a week or two. And, and that's cool. I'm not putting that down. You know, it was Probably a lot of excitement and and you know was a lot of emotion. But but here's the deal: was there any lasting change? There it is. There it is. There it is. Well, did, it, did did people come out of that loving Jesus more? Yeah. So what does it even mean? What does it look like? There may have been a lot of again emotion and excitement, but but did it bring about lasting change? As far as I can tell. As far as I can see, the New Testament doesn't talk about or mention a week or two of meetings that were revival. (laughs) As we have called it. I don't ever see that. The church in those days was consistently walking in the power of God, enjoying the presence of God. The saints were personally a living, walking, holy, ongoing revival. What we need to understand is that the truth is Genuine revival is a time when God moves sovereignly among, hear me now, sovereignly among a spiritually prepared people. Did you hear me? This chapter is telling us, and these first five verses of chapter 40 are telling us about a time that is coming, which we could refer to as genuine revival. We have been talking about, Isaiah has been prophesying about the millennial kingdom age, right? And This is what he's, he talks about, this future time. It's, it applies to the present and it applies to the future. And so mostly this that Isaiah is talking about is in the future, but it still has a present application for us today. This whole idea of being prepared spiritually for God to come and bring renewal and revival into our lives and into our hearts. Um, This chapter is telling us about the time of genuine revival. Isaiah is writing about the coming of the Messiah, as we just said, which in this sense has occurred because He has come, right? Right? Partially fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist, he was what? The forerunner, right, of Christ. It'll be fully fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled, again, when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom here on earth, beginning that millennial kingdom age at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And he will rule this earth. Remember, we talked about this, and it will be a perfect government. We have no idea what that would look like, right, in our time and in our age. But it will be a perfect government being ruled by a perfect king, amen, our King Jesus. And so, it's, and he will come and, and, again, set all things right. Doesn't that sound good? How many of you can hardly wait? He will come and set all things right in this world. That will be a time, we could say, a time of of revival like this world has never, ever known. While these verses, again, are primarily about the future, they also present a point um, and point out to us this whole idea of preparation, a time of preparation needed in the church and the church is not just a building. Is it? The church is made up of people. So that's talking about us. Preparations that must be made. If we want to see the Lord move amongst us and bring about a spiritual awakening, a time of renewal, and a time of revival. And so preparations are what is needed. And could it be that the revival the renewal we so desperately need would would actually be a resurgence and a regained appreciation for our salvation? Could it be that perhaps we've taken a little bit of that for granted lately? Maybe a resurgence and a regained appreciation for our salvation because it is, after all, salvation that sets us free from no longer living for ourselves. Amen but living for our King, living for our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus. God will deliver His people from captivity. He did it in Isaiah's time. He continues to do it today. That's what's so beautiful about God's Word. It is so relevant and present, isn't it? Yes, He is the God who delivers His people in times past from captivity. He's still the God who continues to come and deliver us from whatever it is we are captive to. And there are many things, aren't there, that we can find ourselves captive to. God will deliver. It's His promise. It's who He is. It's what He does. No matter what enemy holds them in bondage, He will come and set them free. Salvation is the wonderful message now being proclaimed here in Isaiah by God himself speaking through Isaiah, but it's God himself saying this and speaking this. It's a wonderful hope that is being offered to those who are facing trials and to those who are, who are being held captive by cruel enemies. And we know who those enemies are. We can name them. Satan, right? This world. And even what I have referred to in times past, that traitor that lives within our flesh, that old sinful nature. And so let's pick it up at verses 1 and 2 as we hear God speak again through Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Again, initially and in in the present, it's speaking to those who would be taken off into captivity and referring to their being released at the end of the 70 years. Some call this section here of Isaiah the gospel according to Isaiah. (laughs) These words, comfort, comfort, which in a very real sense introduced the gospel story, doesn't it? Because we hear John the Baptist introducing the person of Jesus Christ by quoting this very from this very passage. After 39 chapters of the Lord convicting his people, he now begins to bring comfort to them. As his people walked through the, the coming hardships and captivity, the Lord wanted them to be comforted. He needs them to know, as we have said already in the past weeks, he's not kicking them to the curb. He's not giving up on them. He's letting them know that in though even though there will be consequences because of their sin, he loves them. And if this is what it takes, captivity and judgment and the hardship that comes along with those things, if that's what it takes to get people to turn back to him in repentance then so be it. And it is a redeeming God, amen? A God who loves, who allows that very thing to take place. And so He reaches out to them with intense compassion. He wanted His people stirred to trust Him, confessing their sins and casting their lives completely and totally upon Him. He wanted them to worship and obey and to walk in fellowship with Him throughout their lives, no matter what was taking place. True comfort of heart and soul comes only from the Lord, correct? This comfort includes deep spiritual rest, a rest of assurance that one's life is in God's hands. Is there any better place to be, folks? Then right here in the palm of his hands, his eyes on us, safe and secure in that sense. To the righteous believer, God will give strength. He will bring courage to bear whatever lies ahead. This is what he's wanting to bring to his people. As Isaiah speaks, what he's wanting to bring to us. Courage to bear whatever lies ahead, working all things out for good. Isn't that what we find in Romans 8? 28, even if the righteous believer, even if because of some trial or severe persecution should happen to lose his life as a result of his faith and his standing firm in God, they know that they have a complete, awesome, blessed assurance that God will immediately transfer them in that moment before the very presence of God, and quick as the blink of an eye. I call that comfort, don't you? I call that assurance. I call that being right here in the hands of God, safe in that place. Comfort my people, God says. I've shared with them the burdens. Now I want to give them the blessings I've spoken to them with conviction. Now I want to minister to them my comfort. Receive that, people. These people were so prone to wander, so prone to mess up. Unlike us, right? (laughs) And, And here's what we need to hear personally. Yet they were still God's kids. Amen. Amen. Receiving all the love that he had to give. Yes, yes. The people would desperately need the comfort of God, understandably facing such a dismal future would cause many to become so so discouraged. I mean, try to imagine the discouragement that would come knowing that you're you're headed off to a to a foreign nation yeah. in captivity. Doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't look good. And so understandably, facing such dismal future would cause many to become so discouraged. They would be tempted to lose all hope for their future, sending them to the depths of depression. Perhaps even some righteous believers would begin to find themselves questioning God, wondering why He would allow such suffering to take place. Some would even be tempted to distrust the Lord's promises and to give up on their faith. So in order to prepare his people for the coming trials, God cried out, Comfort, comfort my people. The double comfort stresses the importance and the urgency of getting the message out. For the people would be desperate. Now this is where I think God's heart really needs to be understood they would be desperate in terms of the future they were looking at, the trial, the adversity, the hardship. But from God's heart, him allowing this sort of thing to take place, and as the people embraced the message, the promises of God, that that desperation that they were looking at in terms of their future would be turned into a desperation for their How desperate are we today for God? I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it right now. Some of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution, and it's Greg Laurie telling that whole story of the Jesus moving back in the 60s and 70s. And just prior to, to Chuck Smith passing uh, in 2013, Greg Laurie went to go see him and, and asked him a question. Chuck, do you think we could ever see a move of God like this again? You know what Chuck said? He told Craig, Greg Laurie. He says, "I, I don't know that we're desperate enough. Yes. God's longing for the people in Isaiah's time and for us is that our desperation and our trying to find all the things that we want in our heart in all the wrong places are all found in Him. That that desperation would be turned into a desperation for Him and living for Him, fully." and completely. God, through Isaiah, wants the people to know that their hard service is over. It's interesting that that word in the Hebrew, in the original, is just one word. It's sabah. You know what it means? It's the word for warfare. He's letting them know that your warfare will soon be over. Obviously, he's referring to the actual battle and war that took place as they're taking on the Assyrians that then became the Babylonians, and even the captivity is being referred to as a prolonged part of that warfare that's coming to an end. How often do we find ourselves, and we would not like to admit it, at war with the very will of our God, demanding our will over against His. And God says, it's coming to an end. And their sins were forgiven and paid for. What does that remind you of? (laughs) The Lord was promising the release of the Jews and their return to the promised land of Judah. He was letting the people know that the harshness of the captivity, 70 years worth, would soon be over. Again, try to imagine What comfort this would have brought to their hearts, to their minds, to their lives. I think about that in terms of we know that there's going to be a day when our Lord returns. And when he makes all things right. And he becomes that perfect king. And the warfare that we've known here with our flesh and with this world and with the enemy will be over. That brings some comfort, doesn't it? I can't help but think of the song. I can only imagine what it will be like. God himself gave them the assurance of these promises. They could rest in his word and be comforted in the great promise. God allowed the collapse of Judah and the Babylonian captivity as a means of judgment to awaken them to repent. And so Isaiah was predicting that their suffering would stir some of the people to turn back to God, to cry out for His help. And and these would repent of their sins, and, and God is letting them know, and I will forgive them. What a promise. Now, seed for thought, food for thought. Will God need to do the same for us today? Is it going to take persecution to get our attention? I know, and I'm with you. We here in America, we don't want to talk about persecution In fact, some of us are in denial about it, (laughs) but I want you to think about it. Will it take persecution to get our attention, to turn from our wicked ways, to return fully unreservedly to our Lord? Will this be what we need to prepare us for His coming revival? Verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, between verses 3 and 11, some amazing proclamations and promises are given. They tell us that our God is coming to reveal His glory worldwide, which affirms the enduring quality, church, about God's Word. He has promised Worldwide revelation, which would be him, his appearing, right? And, and that's good news. We're told that his word will not fail in verses 3 through 11, and we're told that the coming Lord, the great good shepherd who will gather his people and he will lead them home, eternal home, comfort my people, Isaiah was instructed to say, and prepare them for the coming of Christ. John the Baptist used, as I said earlier, this very verse when he was being asked by the Pharisees, who are you? Remember that? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Or, or, or are you Elijah? You know, and John says, nope, not either of those. And then he quotes this scripture. You can find that in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing a way. For the coming of the Lord. The cry of Isaiah's voice is good news. Why? Because the king is coming. And he's coming soon, church. This is a picture, and I want you to really get this. This is a beautiful picture that we're being given here of a near ancient Near East custom of preparing for the coming and visitation of a foreign king. What a wonderful, amazing picture this is! We have a king who's coming, amen. amen. And we're being told here and being encouraged to prepare, just like the ancient custom did to prepare. Ambassadors would be sent ahead of the king's coming, so that they would know that he is coming. What would they do? They would go into an extensive uh, activity of preparing, fixing highways. Maybe building a road if that needed to take place, removing debris, filling in potholes, making sharp corners straighter, bringing dips and things level or bringing down higher places. All that would take place before the king would show up. All of this has amazing spiritual application for us today in terms of our being prepared and getting prepared for his coming. Either a special road would be built, as I said, or you know, litter picked up, potholes filled in. Amen. Now I want you to watch. You look at verse four and five as we put this all together. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Again, a couple of things going on here: ancient custom, and then its application for us. Every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. In other words, flat. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Notice the order of things here. The preparation takes place, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's kind of like Isaiah's way of saying you can take this to the bank. (laughs) You can count on it. With the Lord's announced coming, the people were to get serious about the preparations. Like what specifically then? Well, they were to straighten out their lives. They were to remove all the crooked and unrighteous behavior. They were to give their lives a spiritual upgrade, if you will, fill in the potholes of their hearts, get rid of all the litter and debris that has gathered there due to an undue, unnecessary attachment to the world and its things and all the trinkets it holds out to us. They were to level out the paths of their lives. Be faithful and consistent, riding smoothly over the valleys and the mountains, the ups and the downs of life with confident, righteous behavior. We know that we need a move of God in our lives and in our church. We want to see the blessings, I think, of verse 5, but we're not going to see the blessings of verse 5 until we take care of verses 3 and 4. If we make these preparations, I believe we will make revival, renew, far more likely than it would be otherwise. These preparations will, as verse 3 says, form a highway in the desert, meaning the dry, barren, fruitless places amongst the nations amongst our churches, and within our own hearts. Every valley shall be raised up. This speaks to us about the places in our lives that are lacking. We all have low spots in our walk with the Lord. We all have places that we have allowed to become hollowed out and shallow. And those places we're being encouraged must be filled in before renewal and revival can come into our lives. These valleys can go by many names. For some, it's their prayer life, Bible reading and study and unforgiveness or guilt or anger or self-righteousness. For others, it's financial problems, marital issues, physical problems, the hardships of life, relationships, and activities that have pulled them away from God. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. So while we need to work in some areas of our lives to bring things up where they need to be, we also need to work in areas where we need to tear down. Areas that we have allowed to become unnecessary mountains in our lives. Things that stand between us and God. Becoming barriers in our relationship with Him. There are many potential barriers to revival in our lives. Let me name a few, and it's just a few. Jealousy, lust, pride, unfaithfulness, Worry, hypocrisy, disobedience to the will of God, busyness, and fear. Everyone here has mountains in their lives. We will have attitudes, actions, and passions that need to be brought down so that God can be lifted up. Amen. And be allowed to move in like He desires to do. These verses from Isaiah are asking you to look into your life today. Identify those high places that need to be brought down. And identify those low places that need to be filled in. And get busy seeing that they are made right. If you do, I believe you will be more likely to experience... God moving in your life in genuine renewal and revival. If real revival came, what would it look like? I guess you could say that's the million-dollar question right now, huh? If real revival came, would everyone embrace it? I think probably not. If real revival came, some would leave the church because they like things just the way they are. (laughs) How many of you know and understand that revival messes things up? (laughs) For those who are unwilling to change and become less like themselves and more like Jesus. For those who have gotten comfortable, hear me now. In their captivity. And what is so tragic about that. Not even realizing. That they are in captivity. I'm so reminded of Samson's story. Some of the saddest words of scripture. In my opinion. And he knew not. That the spirit of the Lord. Had departed. If real revival came. What would it look like? I think it would look a lot like verse 5, the glory of the Lord being revealed around us, in us, and through us. I think it would look a lot like what we see in the book of Acts, devoted to God's Word, devoted to the teaching of His Word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to serving. Devoted to loving, devoted to praising God with glad and sincere hearts. Devoted in having a wonder and an awe of our wonder-working God. Church, I want to ask you, when you walk into this place Sunday after Sunday, is there an awe in your heart and in your spirit with regards to the presence of God? Have we lost this awe of His wonder? And who He is. Or is it just same old, same old business as usual? needs to come back to this holy awe and wonder of our wonder-working God. I think real revival would empower us for God's work. It would impassion us to reach out to the lost. It will invigorate us to worship the Lord. And it instructs us in the way of holiness. I think real revival will be less about emotionalism, and I'm not saying emotionalism is bad. I mean, everyone likes to feel the excitement in the goodness of God, right? I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that's just not where it ends. I think it'll be more about... The church being, hear me now, what will real revival look like? Maybe look like the church. We as individuals finding ourselves loving Jesus in a greater, greater, greater kind of way. When real revival comes, the church will fulfill what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And we will do so perfectly. Until we do, we have not experienced true revival. Let me tell you what Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, have to say. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up I like that, from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, woo, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. There it is. So if revival came, that is what it would look like in each of our lives. Are you prepared for that? Do you long for that in your hearts? I trust that you do. And I trust that you will get serious about the preparations needing to be made because our King is coming soon. Father, we come before you this morning and again we want to say thank you for your faithfulness to us. We want to say thank you that everything you do, everything you allow has redemptive value. That's the kind of God that you are. And so Lord, I pray that we would get a get a grip on that that we would embrace fully this message that Isaiah has given us in chapter 40 that we've run with it fully, completely committed, devoted, surrendered to you. Returning to you in repentance. Bringing to you our all. For you are deserving of all of this. You laid down your life that we might have life. You paid the price that we should have paid. We have so much to be thankful for. May our lives be living testimony of grateful hearts by how we live. For you. Choosing you. Your will over ours wanting to bring you pleasure and not to ourselves wanting to bring you honor and glory may it be so in our lives and in this time and in this day for the night is almost over and the day is almost here our king is coming we pray this in christ's name amen Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will